Father, we are so grateful for the chance to pray, to talk to our Creator. Lord, you're changing the seasons. A lot of rain yesterday. That water is eventually going to bless us. Going to be in our homes. Drink it. Wash with it. Thank you for supplying it to our yards. And today, Lord, you've given us oxygen to breathe and by grace, clothes, cars, breakfast, or lunch to come. All from your generous hand, O oh God. There's no one in the world to thank but you. We do give you all the glory, all the applause. I thank you, Lord, that you are extending your hand in kindness around the world. We regret, Lord, that most of the world is not recognizing your hand, not reaching back to you. Lord, it is our desire, O oh God, to keep telling, keep speaking, and keep celebrating, keep advertising your magnificence. Father, I know that you brought broken hearts into this room, struggling hearts. Pray that you would, even if it's something not related to my little tiny words, would you minister to these dear ones how great your love is for them. You're ready to forgive, ready to strengthen, but may they trust you. Lord, produce from this church trust in the Lord God of the universe. Now, Lord, here's my little sermon, my words. It's all they are on paper, black letters on white paper. Would you make them large and to be what they are, the word of the living God? As they come out of my mouth, out of my mind, would you touch the people's ears and their heart so they would see and love God and yield their lives wholly to him and be useful in your will that is written for them in eternity past. It's in Christ's name I pray with all gratitude. Amen. I used to pray early in my ministry with a man named George Lauderdale. He was in his 60s. He was a unique guy. Um, his goal in life was to write a book called Word Sing, to put all of the words of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation to different familiar hymns to make Bible memory easier. You just sing all of the Bible. I don't know if he completed that by the time he died. He died a couple years ago in Wrens, Georgia. But I remember being in a prayer meeting with him one time, and all of the guys in there were very young in the ministry. And somebody came to him and said, I have two opportunities of, of responding to a call of God. Which one should I take? And, and, and George, without blinking, without hesitation, said, you should respond to the call that would allow you to bear the greatest amount of fruit for God. And he based that on John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. The will of God for your life is to celebrate and advertise the magnificence of God. So when Jesus Christ here in John 15 uses the word fruit, what does it mean fruit's coming out of your life? What's coming out of your life is the celebration of God's magnificence and the advertisement of God's magnificence to other people. And it is a key theme here in John 15, the bearing of fruit or the 
promoting of God's magnificence. In fact, in John 15, 1 through 8, five different occasions, Jesus will say, the will of God is for you to bear fruit. So we're going to look today at the first five verses of John 15, and he's telling us that I want you to bear fruit because this is where your joy is going to be found, that there is no greater joy in life than celebrating and advertising the magnificence of God. Everybody wants joy. Everybody says, I want joy, and joy comes from celebrating God's magnificence and advertising his, His magnificence to others, and the pathway to that is bearing fruit for God. Now, when you come to John 15, you're coming to one chapter that is really difficult to read Uh, in one setting apart from reading the other two chapters that are connected to it because they all happen at the same time. Jesus is leaving the city of Jerusalem and he's walking to a garden called Gethsemane and he's going to spend the whole night praying there because the next morning he's going to be nailed to a cross. So he's going to Gethsemane to pray. And on the way, he has this discussion with the disciples in 15, 16, and 17. And it's sort of a, when you read these chapters, you can feel, it's like, you can feel him walking and talking and things just coming up in his mind, like, the last things I want you to know, I'm going to just throw them out here and there. And here in John 15, he says, I want you to spend your life bearing fruit for God. This is the will of God. This is the purpose of your life, is to bear much fruit, to do much advertising for the Lord. And he says in John 15, 1 through 5, there are three components, whether you'll be a successful advertiser or fruit bearer of God. And those three words, or those, that process revolves around the three words of relationship, refinement, and reliance. So we want to look first day at relationship. Going to be a great advertiser for God, great fruit bearer for God, have to be in relationship to God. John 15, 1 through 5. Or 1 and 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, and you are the branches. So you can see here in this, you know, in this, these two verses that Jesus, there's three characters in our, our play today. There's a vine, Jesus. There's branches, you. Hello, little branches. And there's a gardener or a vine dresser, God who takes care of the pruning of these branches. And so Jesus in this chapter says, I'm the true vine. Now, if you're keeping count in the book of John, this is the seventh time that Jesus has said that he is something by saying, I am. Like, I'm the bread of life. I am living water. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. And here, he concludes the seven by saying, I am the true vine. Now, when you see the word true vine, true vine, you think, well, there must be an untrue, not true vine, and that's sort of what he's getting at. There is a vine that is not reliable. There's a vine that's not satisfactory. And in this case, he probably is referencing the nation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is often called the vine of God. Five times it's called the vine of God because God was saying, I want to grow 
my message of hope and love through this nation to all nations. And Israel rebelled against that purpose, against that mission, and failed to be the vine of God. So probably Jesus, as he's walking outside the temple, looks up on the wall of the temple and sees that ornate uh, drawing, carving of a vine that Herod had, it was on the side of the temple, overlaid with gold. Some estimate it was $12 million. And Jesus, on his way out of the temple to Gethsemane, probably pointed at that vine and said, that's not the true vine. Israel missed its purpose. I am the true vine. I am the one that's going to connect you to God and connect all the nations of the world to God. You can see where Israel missed its purpose. Jeremiah 2, it was not the true vine. I had planted you, Israel, I had planted you like a choice vine. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? So when you look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you have to say they were blessed but unreliable. Certainly something I would hate to be said of my life. Blessed but unreliable. So Jesus says, not Israel, but me, I'm the true vine. I'm the only person that can connect the world to God. I'm the vine. Israel missed its opportunity. I am the true vine. Years ago, God took himself, his essence, and planted his seed inside the womb of Virgin Mary. And from her womb birthed a little child who grew into a man, taught, healed, died on a cross, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. And from that little seed, from that little baby, from that man, a vine spreads throughout all the world. All the world can know God, can be forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. I love how G. Campbell Morgan says this. Our Lord, standing among the twelve, said, I am the true vine. From me shall come the fruit that shall be for the healing of the world and the satisfaction of its need. Through my ministry, truth shall prevail, and humanity shall find the meeting of its need in the kingdom of God. I am the true vine. Everywhere the disciples walked in Palestine, they would see vines growing, branches coming off the vine, and grapes coming off of the branches. And Jesus would say to the disciples, as they looked at these vines, I want to be closer to you than a branch is to a vine, than a grape is to a branch. Personal relationship. God wants to be closer to you than your oxygen is in your lungs. God said, I want to have a relationship with you, but it only comes when you're connected to the vine, my son. Jesus Christ was fully rooted in your humanity, and he calls you to be fully rooted in his deity. And it only happens, life only happens when you're connected to God. Some of you work at factories and you produce widgets and gadgets, and that's good and all that, but everything you produce is non-living because the thing that produced them, a machine, was non-living. So machines produce, non-living machines produce non-living gadgets. So the only way that you're going to have life in this world is to be connected to a living God. 
And the only way you be connected to a living God is through the vine that connects heaven to earth, the umbilical cord, the vine of Christ. So relationship is the first thing Jesus wanted to talk about. Do you have a relationship with God? Are you connected to God? Do you have the life of God in you? It only flows to you through Christ. Second, refinement. Those who are in relationship with God, he refines. This is described in the next verse. He cuts off. This is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So whenever a vine dresser, gardener would come and see a branch that dying, diseased, cut it off. The disciples, as they were walking this night to Gethsemane from Jerusalem, in the middle of the night, they would see dozens and dozens of vine dressers burning dead vines or dead branches that were not producing. So God goes throughout this world, offers His salvation to Spartanburg, goes down to Atlanta, goes over to Albania, goes to Pakistan, and says, do you want a relationship with me? And those who say, no, I don't want a relationship with you, he discards. Those who say, yes, I see your worth. I see your magnificence. I see the sacrifice of Christ. I want to know you. I want to be connected to you. Jesus said to those who are connected, those branches that are connected to the vine, Jesus prunes, he cuts, so that they will even have a greater opportunity to serve the Lord. The band plays in rhythm. They have this little thing called a click track, and they're listening. All the band is playing, same rhythm. There's a rhythm to every song, and there's a rhythm to life. That is, you come into relationship with God. He blesses you, joy. He uses you, joy. And then he cuts, which is sometimes not a lot of joy, not a lot of fun, trial, confusion, sense of weakness, frustration, maybe, maybe deep pain, the pruning of God hurts, and you don't understand why is he pruning. A good gardener, a good vine dresser knows three things about his vine, his branch, before he starts pruning. Where, where on the branch the pruning needs to take place, how much should be pruned, and what's the best time of the year to do the pruning. And you have to know and believe these three things about God, or you're going to fade away during the times when he's pruning in your life. You have to trust him that he, if he says right here, I'm going to prune right here today or right this month or 2019, we're pruning right here. You have to trust him that he chose the right place to prune, to cut. Very hard. Third, a lot of times you feel like, God, you're cutting too much. I could take this much, but you did this much. 
You've got to trust him. He knows how much to cut. And then you've got to trust him when. Because most of the time that he prunes in your life, you say, this is absolutely the worst time. I need, give me a break. And that's the time he prunes in your life. And many people, they check out on God during the pruning aspect. They just say, I can't trust him. I can't trust his choice of location, how much, and the timing. And it's really a matter of trust, and they check out. In my first church, I served in my first church in Appling, Georgia, a little church called Sharon Baptist. If you were a local, you would call it Sharon Baptist, but I was an outsider, so I called it Sharon Baptist. 1986 to 1996 at, at Sharon. And uh, Lisa and I met a dear girl there, sweet believer named Sheila. And Sheila was just like anybody in this room today. She wanted to be a branch connected to the vine, serve the Lord. She definitely saw the Lord's magnificence, but man, did this girl struggle with depression and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I've sort of battled that. So I had a kinship, uh, certainly no, no condemnation for me at all. But she struggled. And so a lot of times when God was going to work in her life, it, it might be a season of, of discouragement for her. Well, she was a great gardener and she loved gardening. And one day her girls for Mother's Day gave her a rose. And um, she wrote, she loved that rose, and she loved caring for that rose over the years so much, she eventually wrote a poem about the rose. I'll read a portion of it to you, not the whole thing. The whole thing's good, but just a little bit. My life, like my rose bush, is diseased. It's not nearly as beautiful and fruitful as it could be. How can I sit and wonder why my life isn't blooming like it could be? The verse says, if I allow it to be cut back, I'll be more fruitful. If I allow God to have his way in my life, I'll be more fruitful. I will thrive more than ever. I know it's the truth, but it's so hard. Every year I cut back my rose bush, and each time, each time I do, it begins to grow back more beautiful than the time before. I don't want to hurt it, but I don't want it to die either. Got to go now. Father is waiting. We've got some pruning to do today. Sheila was 31 years old when she wrote The Rose. She was involved in a tragic accident six months after she wrote that. She died and went to be with the Lord. As I was preparing for her service, and looking through her Bible, that's when I found that. I didn't even know it existed. So I read it in the service, but it was scribbled down on a piece of paper, really well-worn. She'd obviously read it a lot and worked it over a lot. And so we got it all prettied up and started printing copies of it. And, man, hundreds of people began to ask for it after that service. And I can remember uh, when we started getting... and we put the return address on the back of her mother, Sheila's mother, Bonnie. And I can remember when we started receiving hundreds of letters back from all around the country of people being helped by this rose poem. And then I remember the first time when, when we got our first international letter from London. How in the world, in little crazy Appling, Georgia, did that poem make it to London, England. But it did. And somebody came back and said, I, 
I've reconnected my life to the Lord because of the words that Sheila wrote. So God was bearing fruit for Sheila long after her life on earth. And I know that not always the pruning of God is that extreme, the cutting is that severe. But it doesn't matter wherever and whenever He cuts in your life, you don't like it and I don't like it. I, I don't understand it. I miss the comfort that I had before the pruning. And I fear the, the, the unfamiliarity of the pruning, the waiting. And each time it, God grows back, I, I'm able to serve Him and know Him better. The third thing that Jesus said after we work on our relationship and learning to be refined by God is one of reliance. He's going to emphasize this moment by moment. Just keep that phrase, moment by moment. This is what it means to know Christ. Moment by moment, reliance. Can't miss it in these verses. John 15, 4 and 5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit Unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me. And I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. So you're sort of picking up on the heavy use of the word remain. In eight verses of John 15. He'll use this word remain eight times. And because I'm theologically trained, I say, somebody says something eight times in eight verses is probably important. That's the key right here to everything. That's the key to the Christian life. He could have used the word stay. So every time you see the word remain, some of your Bibles probably say abide. Just think stay. Stop drifting. Stop becoming disloyal. Stay. Keep clinging. Keep relying. Stay close to Him. Best way I can maybe help you understand the depth of clinging that God would have you experience begins with a story that takes place in in 1859, um, Charles Blondin tied a rope across Niagara Falls from the Canadian side to the American side. The rope was 1,300 feet long, two inches thick. And on June 30th, at 5 p.m., Charles Blondin wearing pink tights and fine leather shoes, crossed over Niagara Falls, holding a 50-pound balancing pole, and he did it in 23 minutes. Before he died, he would cross Niagara Falls 300 more times. But of all of his crossings, the one that most impresses me 
It's one that occurred on July 27th, 1859, when he invited his manager, Harry Calcord, get on my back and cross the falls with me. So as they stepped on that rope on the Canadian side of the falls, Charles Blandon looked back at Harry Calcord and said, Look up, Harry. You are no longer Calcord. You are Blondin. Be a part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go to our death. What's, what's abiding? It's clinging to the back of Jesus. It's saying, I can't do this life. I trust you. I don't know why you're pruning. I can't see tomorrow. I trust you. When you sway, I will sway. When you move, I will move. I trust your promises. I trust your love. I trust your commands. I do not trust me to get across this, these falls. I do not trust my strength. I do not trust the strength of others. I trust you now. And next hour, and next hour, and next hour, I cling to your back. You carry me. That's abiding. It's living a life of absolute dependency. My first church at Sharon, about once a month on a Friday afternoon, I'd get a call from Clark Curtis. He worked at Pollard Lumber Company. His job was to sharpen the blades of the giant saws that cut the giant logs. And ever so often he would get off earlier than his 4 o'clock shift. And Charles had the, the, the slowest, most southern drawl you've ever heard. He would call me, Richard, this is Clark Curtis. Just want to let you know they're shutting the lumber mill down at noon today. Want to know if you'd like to grab a bite of pizza. <laughs> and we would take off to Pizza Inn, our normal hangout, and we would sit there and eat and talk about God for hours. Not because we had that much to talk about, because he talked so slowly. <laughs> That's a challenge with ADD. Move it along. Three years after I left that church, I moved to Greenville. Charles uh, um, Clark contracted cancer in the lymph nodes of his neck 
spread through all the muscles of his neck to his jaw and then eventually into his tongue. When he got to be about down to about uh, 95 pounds, he came to visit me in Greenville. It's a very interesting visit because I had just I had just a few days earlier um, had a surgeon in Atlanta take the upper portion of my left lung out to likewise remove a tumor. So I was recovering from that thoracotomy and Charles uh, Clark was referring to from his jaw surgery. He said, I want to come together one more time and eat a last meal with you and let's talk about my funeral. So we ordered pizza at our house. I ate mine as I normally do and we put his in a blender and he drank it. And we talked about and he said, I want to glorify God. This is my last chance to bring glory to God. That others would see his magnificence. Celebrate his magnificence. I want my funeral to be an advertisement of his magnificence. I want to bring glory to God. People to God. He said, I think that would best happen through 1 Peter chapter 2. So you need to preach from 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay. Well... The last week of his life, he barely moved, was in that sort of semi-comatose state, as you often see with cancer. In the last three days, he absolutely didn't speak at all. And, but in the last moment of his life, he sat up in his bed, gently held his wife's hand, smiled, and quoted John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he died. I don't think you could have a more gripping metaphor image of what dependency is like. I can't breathe without Jesus Christ. My computer stays blank until he speaks. This room is, stays sort of dull and lifeless until the Spirit of God blesses the music and fills it up with Jesus. Can't do anything without Him. We're dependent. And you're born to be that way. You don't need to hate it. You don't need to hate your pain and hate your disabilities and hate your weaknesses. You were born to be dependent on Jesus Christ. You're born to need Him. He wants to meet every single need. He's capable of meeting every single need. But there's a lot of voices that go on in life that tell you, live independently, live on your own, and exalt self-reliance. And so the key to life is figuring out how not to hear those voices and stop remaining Stop abiding and stop staying. How do I stay close to Jesus? And there's only one answer. It's what you're doing today. It's listening to His Word. It's how He draws you back. Do you remember in John chapter 6, Jesus, in one sentence, drove away 5,000 people. His church went from 5,000 to 12 with one sentence. And the disciples were really bummed that he had chosen to preach that sermon. And they sort of like, you want to rethink that? 
He said, nope. And here's why. He looked at them and said, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. All you've got in, in this world to live abiding in Christ are His words. Look how Jesus in John 15, 7 equates Himself and His words. Remain in me and my words remain in you. For Jesus, there is no difference between Himself and His words. Let me say it like this. I am abiding in Christ only to the degree that I am hearing and obeying the words of Christ. So you, why do you come to church? Why are you here? So why do you come? Why, what's the purpose of church? His words are Him. And He draws you to Himself as He speaks to you through His words. Why do you read the Bible tomorrow morning? Because you cannot and will not stay with Christ apart from reading the Bible tomorrow morning. You'll drift. No one stays close to Jesus apart from His words. When Jesus said this to disciples, Peter watched the remaining crowds walk away. And when the last person left, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're going to leave me too? Peter responded, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's how we abide. That's how we stay. I skipped over something a minute ago. I want to go back to it. About our, our hatred of dependency. The, the founder of Walk Through the Bible, Bruce Wilkerson, came to a place in his life and I really want to tell you this because you may be here. You may be involved in a ministry. You may be a missionary, maybe a pastor, or you may just be struggling in your marriage. You say, I can't do this. Bruce Wilkerson said, he was talking to one of his mentors one day, an 80-year-old guy named John. Let's get his name right. John Mitchell. And he told him, I can no longer be the leader of Walk Through the Bible. I am not the man for a ministry of this magnitude. I can't do this. And this is what John Workson told him. That feeling you're running from is called dependency. The second you're not feeling dependent is the second you've backed away from truly Living by faith. So, sorry, that sort of got out of order and botched that, but it's still worth picking it up now. 
Jesus is the vine. You're called to depend on Him. Your flesh and a lot of other voices say that sort of level of dependency is, is not right. Yes, it is right. You're made to depend on Him. And if you're not listening to the Word of God, you're going to listen to all sorts of other voices and you're going to depart not remain, not abide, not stay. The only thing that's keeping you staying with Christ is His Word. One more proof of that. Because remember, the main voice is going to tell you, the main voice that says dependency is wrong is our adversary, the evil one. The young men in the early church were feeling that, and I love what First John told them. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Don't miss the connection. How do I overcome the evil one? By abiding in Christ. How do I abide in Christ? His Word dwells in you. I know that providential circumstances will sometimes cause you to miss this Sunday morning, but apart from that, I beg you not to miss, because you have to abide to defeat the evil one, and the only way to abide is through His words. His words are Him. I wish you could just know this morning. We did a baby dedication in first service. and I look at Russell and Rachel and little baby Elliot. and Satan hates them. Satan hates their family, hates this baby dedication, hates you, hates this church, hates your marriage, hates God. And he's trying to tell you, don't stay with Christ. Don't remain. Don't abide. And the only way you're going to overcome his voice, the only way you're going to abide is through his word. Last verse I want to share with you because I think it's a beautiful Old Testament commentary on John 15 is Psalm 1. This is, Psalm 1 talks about a man who's blessed. His de, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And look what happens. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its what? Its fruit in season. So just as a tree planted by the water, bears fruit. You planted in the Word of God, seeing and loving Jesus, you bear fruit. You, you will not bear fruit unless your life is planted. I hope today you see your life as a little tiny seed planted in the soil of Christ's infinite love, Christ's infinite power, Christ's infinite forgiveness, His infinite holiness, His infinite wisdom. And right in the middle of that, little seed, and you're just letting Him love you. You're abiding. And you're constantly believing that the best place to be in life is right in the middle of all this infinite God. But you won't believe that if you're not in the Word. You'll depart. You'll listen to another voice. And you will not bear fruit because you're not like a tree planted by streams of living water. We'll close on our verse. 
I'm the vine, you're the branches. This is God's will. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So some of you already, right now, you're looking at your life saying, I'm weak, I'm frail, I can't do this, God can't use me, this ministry will never happen, I can't bear fruit for God. You're right, you can't, because it's not your responsibility to bear fruit, it's your responsibility to abide, and He'll bear the fruit. He does the fruit bearing, you do the abiding. It's not like you ever go to an island and see this coconut tree and this branch coming off the tree trunk says, I need to really produce a coconut today. No. That branch produces a coconut because it's produced to a trunk and that trunk is alive and the purpose of that trunk is producing coconuts. All that branch has to do is be connected. Just abide. Just stay. Just cling to the back of Jesus and He'll do the fruit bearing. So I want to close with asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do, are you connected to God? I mean, go outside today and look at the sky and beyond the blue and the white puffy clouds is a living being infinite creator do you know him do you know God there's a vine that connects you to him his name is Jesus God sent Christ from heaven to live a sinless life to die on a cross to rise from the dead so that there would be an eternal connection between God and the world, the vine of Jesus. Have you placed your faith in Jesus so that you'll be connected to God? Do you have a relationship with God? His life, all the life you need and the power you need is in heaven and it flows through the vine of Jesus. If the answer is no, I don't know God, then let's read the end of Sheila's poem the rose. It's a beautiful prayer, and maybe you could pray it even as, we're, as I'm reading it to you. Lord Jesus, when I look at my life, it doesn't look much like a rose. In fact, it doesn't even look alive. I confess that I have allowed sin and the distractions of this world to stop you from growing in me. I thank you that you died on the cross and rose from the grave in order to take away my sin and give me new life. Please come into my heart and do what is necessary to transform my life to become the rose God desires it to be. You are one prayer away from becoming God's rose. Let's pray. Father, I represent many in this room who today, today say, I don't have the strength to overcome the evil one. I don't have the strength to say no to temptations. I don't have the strength to change my world. I know I'm weak. But today, Lord, I cast myself upon Christ on his back 
I cling. And I trust Him. I trust His love and I trust His promises. I trust His blood. I trust His death. I trust His resurrection. I trust His plans. I trust His commands. Jesus, I cling to You. When You sway, I will sway. When you take a step forward, on your back, I will step with you. I'm tired of trying to figure out how to do life, how to balance. I'm so unbalanced. I recommit my life to you, Jesus. Get me across the falls. Get me across the trials. Get me to the other side. I pray this for myself. I pray this for my marriage. I don't have the capacity to love and give. I would love to be an advertisement. But I feel like right now my life is a diseased rose. So make me new. I can't make myself new. I can't make myself clean. Jesus. Jesus. Make me the rose. Make my heart to be clean. Plant me in the soil of the Father's love, in the soil of the Father's eternal salvation. Plant me my life today in the eternal security of the grace of God and grow in me and do through me what I was born to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.